Yes, yeah, so this evening we're going to look at the second chapter. Last week was all about the first chapter. And I'm sorry for those of you who weren't here last week because I gave a 40-minute talk giving you the context of the text so that you could understand a little bit about where the text is coming from. Now, I'm not going to do that all over again. It wouldn't be fair on the people who were here last week. Um, but before I begin, I'm going to do something which I should have done a few minutes ago, which was um, to uh, introduce you to people who <coughs> it's their first evening here. Um, is it your first evening here? Uh, yes, Ian. Ian. Yeah. So where have you come from? What's, uh, have you come from a class, another class at this centre? Or? Uh, well, no, I've been coming to the centre a few times, but it's the first, you know, first evening as part of this um, Okay, so you've really thrown, thrown yourself in the deep end here. Have, yes. Yeah, it is rather deep end, so just <laughs> letting you know now. Um, Olivia, have you, you've been to this class before, I know, but we haven't seen you for quite a long time, have no, we? I haven't been back to Sangamite for quite a long time. Okay, so we could introduce you as someone new here, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah so this is Olivia. Uh, Prasadu. Yeah, Prasadu, my very, very old friend Prasadu, a, a lover of the Vimalakirti Nadesha. When he uh, says very old friend, <laughs> my young friend Prasadu, who I've known for a long time. Uh, lovely to see you here. Um, we haven't seen you for a while, have we? I do know it, but I can't. I can't bring it to mind. I'm sorry. What? Say it again. Kasim. That's it. Yeah. So we haven't seen you for a while, have we? Last time you were here, what? Was I? Oh, that was quite a long time ago then. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, we've seen you. I think that's everyone, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So, back to the text. Um, last week we looked at the first chapter, and uh, just very briefly, what happens? You've got the Buddha outside of town in uh, a park that had been donated to him from somebody called Amrapali. So it's Amrapali's park. He's outside of town, uh, the, the city of Vaishali, and because um, he lives as a wanderer, so he, he doesn't really live in cities, he lives out in the open. Uh, but he's got you know thousands upon thousands of beings surrounding him. Uh, big shoes, um, arahants, uh, monks, nuns, lay people, lay followers, uh, bodhisattvas, gods. Um, thousands upon thousands of them all surrounding him and the Buddha sitting in the midst of this assembly um, glowing with light on a, on a jewel throne and uh, the, the, the text says uh, light glittered from him so this tremendous we'll see a couple of slides of this later on lovely beautiful image and um, then a young man uh, Bodhisattva called Ratnakara comes to the Buddha and uh, with 500 followers, uh, all young men from the city of Vaishali, and they all circumambulate the Buddha, and then they offer him a parasol. Each one offers him a parasol. And the Buddha magically uh, turns these, these 500 parasols into one great big paras parasol, uh, kind of canopy parasol, which covers the whole universe. And you can see the whole of the universe in the inside of the canopy of this massive parasol. Tremendous, 
one of the great images I think of Mahayana Buddhism really um, quite an amazing and it's it goes into a lot of detail you know you can see rivers and streams and towns and wildernesses and all sorts of things you can see everything in this parasol amazing kind of symbol and then uh, Ratnakara um, uh, recites uh, a number of verses to the Buddha and we did those verses in call and response beautiful hymn of praise to the Buddha really very lovely then after that, he, uh, Ratnaka asks the Buddha a question. He says, how does a Bodhisattva purify a Buddha field? You had to have been here last week, really, to understand that question. I'm not going to go into it now. Far too big a topic. But how does a Bodhisattva purify a Buddha field? And the Buddha answers him many, many, many verses. We only had a few of the verses, even though it's a fairly long reading last week. I edited a lot, lot out, a lot of repetition. So uh, the Buddha tells him, and the main thing that the Buddha says is the very first part of his answer is, a Buddha field is made up of living beings. That's the main part of the answer. And the Buddha purifies a Buddha field to the extent that he helps living beings to develop. And then comes the joke. Shariputra, who's the fall guy in the, uh, in the text, we, we come across him again and again, he plays a very important part in the text. He says, oh, so um, the Buddha had said that a, um, a, a Buddha field is pure to the extent that the Buddha in that Buddha field is pure. And this world isn't pure, this is an impure Buddha field. And so the Shariputra thinks that, oh, so the Buddha's mind can't be pure then. And the Buddha picks it up picks up what he's saying. This is the joke. And he says, uh, you just thought that, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I did think that. <laughs> See, it's funny now, I say, isn't it? Um, now that you know it's a joke, you can laugh. And um, so then there's this dialogue between them, and it's very, very interesting because uh, put has got a point. Uh, but the Buddha says that the, the Buddha field is pure only to the extent that your mind is pure. So if you've got an impure mind, you'll see the world as impure. If you've got a pure mind, you'll see it as pure. Uh, he says something else as well, uh, and we might go into this later on. Uh, the text then goes, in my view, a step too far. I think the next thing that the, the Buddha says in the text, in my view, goes outside of Buddhism. It's not exactly Buddhist. It's not the Dharma, the next bit. Uh, and this is the, the bit where the Buddha says, um, uh, I make the world seem impure for the sake of living beings so that they will develop. Now that isn't really Buddhism because the Buddha doesn't, does no such thing. The Buddha doesn't make the world seem anything to anybody. The world is as you see it. So in my view that part of the text departs from Buddhism. It's the only part of the, the, the whole text, the whole sutra, I think, the whole Nadesha where the Buddha, uh, where whoever wrote the text departs from Buddhist doctrine, and it, it's that, that bit there. Uh, maybe later on we can discuss that. So that's where we're up to. And then, uh, not quite actually, because then um, the Buddha then creates another miracle. He touches the earth with his big toe. That's another little joke, I think. Touches it with his big toe. And the world is suddenly seen as pure. The whole world is a pure land. And it describes this very beautiful pure land that they're in. And then he touches the the, the earth again and it goes back to the way it was and then he says did you see that shall we put you he said I saw it Lord he says it's a pure land he says yeah I see now it's a pure land we're in 
Which is a really interesting idea, isn't it, that we are actually in a pure land now, um, but we just don't see it like that. So we create the world we live in. This is one of the big um, themes of Mahayana Buddhism, that we create the world we live in. Uh, to the extent that your mind is impure, you'll see the world as impure. To the extent that your mind is angry, you will see anger everywhere. To the extent that you're... Hmm, yeah. Uh, pure uh, is, um, it's not a, an ethical purity, it's pure of uh, egotism, yeah? So it's uh, shunyata, it's empty of selfhood. So that's, re that's a good question, that's what pure really means, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, at the end of it, w when the Buddha touches the world again and it goes back to where it was. Um, people are so astounded that thousands of them gain enlightenment and thousands of them the bodhicitta arises within them and then we go on to the next chapter. So that's the background, that's all the background you need for this next chapter. Okay, are you ready then? So shall we salute the shrine? <coughs> oh. Have to light the shrine first. <clears throat> In unison. Namo Buddhaya. Namo Dhamaya. Namo. So in these four weeks, our practice, rather than doing the mindfulness of breathing or the metta bhavana as we normally do, where the practice is the recitation of the text. Um, in this case, it'll just be, I'll just be reading the text to you, and uh, your task is to be as receptive as you can be. So if you, we'll spend a few minutes just preparing ourselves. So we're preparing ourselves to listen to the Dharma. So if you can just kind of settle your mind, a bit of body awareness. And as I said last week, uh, the way to really listen to a text like this is to listen with your body. If you can imagine listening with the whole of your body, allowing it to <coughs> seep through every pore of your body. And uh, you really need to see if you can let go of the conceptual mind. It's a difficult thing to do, but um, the conceptual mind isn't going to help you very much with this. And one of the things I said last week was, um, not so much with this chapter actually, with the second chapter, but with some of the chapters, um, the text is just bombarding you with images, images and images, and rep repetition, rep repetition, repetition, until you give in, until you surrender to it. It's, it what it's in a way saying to you is, shut up. Yeah, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut that conceptual mind of yours up for a few minutes so that the Dharma can go straight to your heart. And what you'll probably find is it won't shut up at first. You'll be thinking, what's that mean, eh? That doesn't make sense. Where are we now? 
and all those kind of thoughts, your conceptual mind will be trying to come to grips with this text. And um, at some point, it will just get fed up and you just go, oh, I give up. And then the text begins to do its work. I've said that, that was so of many of the chapters, but it's not quite the same this <coughs> evening. This evening is uh, a fairly down-to-earth kind of chapter. So let's spend a few minutes just preparing ourselves. So allow, allowing your mind to settle. Allowing the space between your ears to soften, to let go. And to drop down like liquid down into your body. The Vimanakirti Nidesha, Chapter 2 Inconceivable Skillful Means At that time, there lived in the great city of Vaishali a certain Lichavi, Vimalakirti by name. Having served the ancient Buddhas, he had generated the roots of virtue by honouring them and make on, making offerings to them. He had attained patience as well as eloquence. He played with the great super-knowledges. He had attained the power of incantations and the fearlessnesses. He had conquered Mara and other opponents. He had penetrated the profound way of the Dharma. He was liberated through the transcendence of wisdom. Having integrated his realization with skillful means, he was expert in knowing the thoughts and actions of living beings. knowing the strength or weakness of their faculties and being gifted with unrivalled eloquence, he taught the Dharma appropriately to each. Having applied himself energetically to the Mahayana, he understood it and accomplished his task with great finesse. He lived with the deportment of a Buddha and his superior intelligence was as wide as an ocean. He was praised, honoured and commended by all the Buddhas and was respected by Indra, Brahma and all the Lokapalas. In order to develop living beings with his skillful means, he lived in the great city of Vaishali. His wealth was inexhaustible for the purpose of sustaining the poor and the helpless.
he observed a pure morality in order to protect the immoral. He maintained patience and self-control in order to reconcile beings who were angry, cruel, violent and brutal. He blazed with energy in order to inspire people who were lazy. He maintained concentration, mindfulness and meditation in order to sustain the mentally troubled. He attained decisive wisdom in order to sustain the foolish. He wore the white clothes of the layman, yet lived impeccably like a renunciant. He lived at home, but remained aloof from the realm of desire, the realm of form, and the formless realm. He had a son, a wife, and female attendants, yet always maintained celibacy. He appeared to be surrounded by servants, yet lived in solitude. He appeared to be adorned with ornaments, yet was always endowed with the auspicious signs and marks. He seemed to eat and drink, yet always took nourishment from the taste of meditation. He made his appearance at the field of sports and the, in the casinos, but his aim was always to mature those people who atta were attached to games and gambling. He visited the fashionable teachers, yet always kept unswerving loyalty to the Buddha. He understood the mundane and transcendental sciences and esoteric practices, yet always took pleasure in the delights of the Dharma. He mixed in all crowds, yet was respected as foremost of all. In order to be in harmony with people, he associated with elders, with those of middle age, and with the young, yet always spoke in harmony with the Dhamma. He engaged in all sorts of businesses, yet had no interest in profit or possessions. To train living beings, he would appear at crossroads and on street corners, and to protect them, he participated in government. To turn people away from the Hinayana and to engage them in the Mahayana, he appeared among listeners and teachers of the Dhamma. To develop children, he visited all the schools. In order to expose the defects of sexual desire, he even entered the brothels. To establish drunkards in correct mindfulness, he entered all the bars. He was honoured as the businessman among businessmen because he demonstrated the priority of the Dharma.
He was honoured as the landlord among landlords because he renounced the aggressiveness of ownership. He was honoured as the warrior among warriors because he cultivated endurance, determination and fortitude. He was honoured as the aristocrat among aristocrats because he suppressed pride, vanity and arrogance. He was honoured as the official among officials because he regulated the functions of government according to the Dharma. He was honoured as the Prince of Princes because he reversed their attachment to royal pleasures and sovereign power. He was honoured as a eunuch in the royal harem because he taught the young ladies according to the Dhamma. He was in harmony with ordinary people because he appreciated the excellence of ordinary merits. He was honoured as the Indra among Indras because he showed them the temporality of their lordship. He was honoured as the Brahma among Brahmas because he showed them the special excellence of understanding. He was honoured as the Lokapala among Lokapalas because he fostered the development of all living beings. Thus lived the Lichavi Vimlakirti in the great city of Vaishali, endowed with an infinite knowledge of skilful means. At that time, as a skilful means, Vimlakirti made it known that he was ill. To inquire after his health, the king, the officials, the lords, the youths, the aristocrats, the householders, the businessmen, the town folk, the country folk, and thousands of other living beings came forth from the great city of Vaishali and called on the invalid. When they arrived, Vimalakirti taught them the Dharma, beginning his discourse from the actuality of the four main elements. Friends, this body is so impermanent, fragile, unworthy of confidence and feeble. It is so insubstantial, perishable, short-lived, painful, filled with diseases and subject to changes. Thus, my friends, as this body is only a vessel of many sicknesses, wise men do not rely on it. This body is like a ball of foam, unable to bear any pressure. It is like a water bubble, not remaining for very long. It is like a mirage, born from the appetites of the passions. It is like the trunk of the plantain tree having no core. Alas, this body is like a machine 
a nexus of bones and tendons. It is like a magical illusion consisting of falsifications. It is like a dream being an unreal vision. It is like a reflection being the image of former actions. It is like an echo being dependent on conditioning. It is like a cloud being characterised by turbulence and dissolution. It is like a flash of lightning being unstable and decaying every moment. The body is ownerless, being the product of a variety of conditions. This body is inert like the earth, selfless like water, lifeless like fire, impersonal like the wind, and insubstantial like space. This body is unreal, being a collocation of the four main elements. It is empty, not existing as self or as self-possessed. It is inanimate, being like grass, trees, walls, clods of earth and hallucinations. It is insensate, being driven like a windmill. It is filthy, being an agglomeration of pus and excrement. It is false, being fated to be broken and destroyed, in spite of being anointed and massaged. It is afflicted by the 404 diseases. It is like an ancient well, constantly overwhelmed by old age. Its duration is never certain. Certain only is its end in death. Therefore, you should be revulsed by such a body. You should despair of it and should arouse your admiration for the body of the Buddha, the body of the Tathagata. Friends, the body of a Tathagata is the body of Dhamma, born of understanding. The body of a Tathagata is born of the stores of merit and wisdom. It is born of morality, of meditation, of wisdom, of the liberations, and of the, of the knowledge and vision of liberation. It is born of love, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. It is born of generosity, discipline, and self-mastery. It is born of the path of ten skillful actions. 
It is born of patience and gentleness. It is born of the roots of virtue planted by solid efforts. It is born of the concentrations, the liberations, the meditations and the absorptions. It is born of learning, wisdom and skillful means. It is born of the 37 aids to enlightenment. It is born of tranquility and insight. It is born of the 10 powers, the four fearlessnesses and the 18 special qualities. It is born of all the transcendences. It is born from the super knowledges. It is born of the abandonment of all unskillful qualities and of the collection of all skillful qualities. It is born of truth. It is born of reality. It is born of conscious awareness. Friends, the body of a Tathagata is born of countless skillful actions. Towards such a body you should turn your aspirations and in order to eliminate the sicknesses of the passions of all living beings you should conceive the spirit of unexcelled perfect enlightenment, the bodhicitta. While the Vitlichavi Vimalakirti thus taught the Dharma to those who had come to inquire about his sickness, many hundreds of thousands of living beings conceived the spirit of unexcelled perfect enlightenment. <clears throat> 